This show is furnished by Baruti Law Corporation. AM 790. Talk Radio 790, KABC News Update. I'm Steve Cumming. NBC News is projecting Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders as the winner of the Nevada Democratic Presidential Caucus. After winning the New Hampshire primary, Sanders is the clear frontrunner in the Democratic field. Sanders turned in an impressive performance in Nevada, beating back challenges from former Vice President Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, and Amy Klobuchar. The coronavirus outbreak is spreading. South Korea reported today that the number of confirmed cases has doubled for the third straight day. That nation is second only to China in the number of confirmed cases. Europe saw its first deaths because of COVID-19 when Italian officials announced two of their patients have died. Iranian officials announced a sixth person has died in that country. Israel and Lebanon both confirmed their first cases of the virus. Yesterday, the World Health Organization warned the window of opportunity to stem the outbreak is narrowing. KABC SoCal weather, mostly cloudy this evening with a chance of showers with overnight lows in the upper 40s to mid-50s. I'm Steve Cumming. We're on the News Watch 24-7 for you on AM 790 KABC. Diabetes, high blood pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit beefy, or even with type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. Affordable term life insurance is out there. Call term provider and speak with Big Lou at 800-481-1458. 800-481-1458 or visit BigLou.com. Remember, Big Lou's like you. He's on meds, too. This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions. Welcome to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is Renee Frazier, the founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. We're the leading woman-owned advertising and communications firm in Southern California. And at Frazier, we specialize in changing behaviors through advertising and other means of communications, including public relations, to grow brands and positively impact society in the private sector as well as in the public sector. But our show, The Deciders, really features leaders in their fields, change agents in their communities. And on The Deciders, we ask people to share their stories, reveal tough decisions they've had to make, and talk about business effects and ways businesses are affected by different trends in the marketplace. We've been talking about aging, and this is an important thing to talk about as the aging population grows in the United States. We know that uh, people over 65 are increasing in terms of their share of the market. By 2026, they will be one of the, the largest segment in the United States. And it's an important segment because they have so much to offer. We have an expert today to talk about that. Our guest today is a leader in this field. He's the chairman of the Milken Institute Center for the Future of Aging, a scholar in residence at USC and chairman of Encore.org. He also is on a number of boards, travels the world talking about the future of aging and how our aging population is truly a resource for all of us. Paul Irving, welcome to The Deciders. Thank you, Renee. Pleasure to be with you. We're happy to have you here, Paul. As part of the series on aging, we've been hearing about the increasing number of people over 60 and how this population is expected to double over the next 10 years. I think there's over 10,000 people turning 65 every day in the United States, a large number of uh, folks. You've been researching how to promote healthy and purposeful aging, and you have several recommendations. Can you 
provide us with some uh, perspective and recommendations as we think about how to take advantage of the aging population? Sure. Well, I mean, look, as you mentioned, Renee, um, older adults are really our only growing natural resource. Um, so, so um, I think children might be. A well, you know, it's inter- it's interesting, although although, you know, part of the reason why the why the population is aging is the combination of longer lives and incredibly low, historically low birth rates. So the reality is, is that our cities, uh, our state and I know most of your audience is in kind of greater Los Angeles. L.A. will look much older in decades to decades to come. So the truth matter is, is while kids are wonderful, obviously kids are important. And I very much believe in investment in the future. Uh, we will have many, many older adults uh, around around us and frankly, around our children in the in the time to come. So as you're saying, really, when I, I thought of growing me literally because kids are yeah. growing as well. I think we as older folks grow every day through learning. Right. Yes, but you do. meant the size of the segment is, yeah. is growing yeah. right relative that's, to other segments. Yeah, that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. But you, you asked the question about about what we can do. And uh, obviously, look, the the landscape, kind of the big challenge is in many ways easy to, under, to understand. And that is that is, again, adapting to a dramatically different demographic, number one. And number two, how do we take advantage of the of the opportunities that medicine and sanitation and safety have given us basically doubling average lifespans in the last 150 years or so? The solutions are really tough, are really complex, so they don't they don't lend to kind of one sentence answer answers. They have to do with how our communities look and how our homes are designed and how our workplaces operate and the investments that we that we make uh, in our personal lives and and the 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 focus of, of our businesses. Uh, policy change. So let's talk about it from yeah. a business perspective sure. for a moment. Absolutely. I think uh, there's certainly opportunities. You know, I sit on a, a board of a women founders network and we fund organizations and bring uh, startups in. And uh, I have to say vast majority of those startups are focused on technology and youth, young people, uh, hip products, you know, new kinds of ice cream and things of that nature. Rarely do I see anything focused on old Older adults, are there opportunities for investment in older adults? Uh, the, the, so the longevity economy. There's there's interesting research on this. Longevity economy, by the way, if it was a, a private company just in the U.S., would be the third largest economy in the world. Uh, wealth is concentrated in older adults. Numbers numbers of older adults are increasing relative to numbers of young people. Older adults continue to consume despite. Uh, some of the expectations to the contrary. So, so I actually think that the, the the longevity economy, this opportunity to create products and services and innovations for older adults, is the business opportunity of the next number of of decades. Uh, fr- frankly, anybody who's thinking about a startup, a growth stage co- growth stage company, tech, bioscience, et cetera, and who's not thinking about aging is missing the boat. Well, that's good to know. I think it is a population you have to study. And we have talked about Alzheimer's and dementia on the show and interviewed some researchers who are looking at biomarkers and testing to uh, help people identify Alzheimer's and early uh, and dementia early. Not necessarily because you show the symptoms, but because medications can help to push off the onset of those. I think the other thing is living conditions. We've seen uh, growth in, uh, in, as you know, um, living conditions for older people where they move 
through senior housing into assisted living and then into dementia care. What about that industry? How is that industry doing? Well, I mean, so the interesting thing is, is uh, data says that that a vast majority of older adults want to remain in in their homes. That's that's the first thing. And just to give you a sense of here's one business opportunity. About one percent of U.S. homes have the five design elements, universal design elements that people kind of minimally suggest as as those things that every home should have grab grab bars and levers instead of uh, levers instead of uh, turn handles and, and the like just really simple things again one percent of u.s homes wow. and something like 80 90 percent of older adults want to re- remain in place um the the what's called the seniors housing and care industry is going through a, a significant transition in many ways like the hospitality industry has gone through over the last couple of decades, real estate ownership and operation are being divided. Uh, these companies are thinking about how to integrate technology in their, in their services. And what they realize is that they've got a, they've got the most demographically compelling business you could possibly have, a massive number of customers coming, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. customer prospects. And yet, most of those customer prospects don't want the, don't want the the, the product. The product, right? Yeah. They it's don't want to move of, into that kind like, of housing. It's kind of ironic, mm-hmm. you know. So, so I think what they're struggling with is how do we make this a more compelling? Understanding that you know there are challenges, obviously, associated with aging. How can we make this a more compel, compelling product, a more interesting thing? Uh, sometimes I analogize it to, to college, and you, you 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 can imagine you know a seventeen or eighteen year old kid who's a junior in college waiting for their acceptance letter from their university of choice with excitement, opening up that envelope and seeing it and jumping up and up and down. Imagine if the same thing could happen in a, in a retirement community. Uh-huh. Where all, all of a sudden, uh-huh. you, you know, you get your letter from the place that has all the things that you want, opportunities for lifelong learning, social connection, new relationships, new experiences. And you're jumping up and down because you're excited about this new phase of life. We're a long way from the, from that, <laughs> yeah. but but it's a desirable vision. I know. I think that would be ideal. You know, one one of the reasons that isn't happening, I believe, is uh, stereotyping, right? And naming rest home, which of course they're not. Yep. They're very active living homes, but even active living is a euphemism for older people. You know, I saw that the framework is as you tried to talk. Uh, did research on and told us how to talk about aging as continued momentum as opposed to aging because you do have continued progress that you're making. You're not slowing down. I can see you're not. I'm certainly not. So is there a a way to reframe how we even talk about those institutions because otherwise they they are are stereotyped as older folks? I mean, look, I think you you, let me let me think about it a a different way. I think you put your finger on really what's what's the most important thing, which is addressing ageism. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. we have we have ageist norms throughout society, expectations that all aging means is decline and diminishment, loss of cognition, loss of capacity. Uh, you, you talked a little bit about about Alzheimer's and, and other dementias. By the way, uh, tragically, about a third of people over over eighty have Alzheimer's or some other other form of dementia. But that means two thirds don't. That's right. So, about so large, uh, increasingly large right, group. Right. So, so, uh, so the the reality I th- I think is is that is that to think of of old people as some homogeneous mass, you know, some group that's all that's all the same, is just as silly as as it is for any other group. We're thinking that way about women or people of color or mm-hmm. or kids old people are different right mm-hmm. they they have they have distinct taste they have refinement that comes from years and years of 
of shopping and consuming and, and, and experience. They want um, they want and need innovations that that serve them. So um, so we have to we have to kind of get over the over the notion that all our this kind of later stage of life means is is the end. It, That's can, right. it can mean new beginnings, new it beginnings, can new, new opportunities, new, challenge, new challenges, new opportunities, new learning, new work, new con- new contribution. Right. Uh, uh, there's a notion in psychology called generativity, this notion of kind of passing down and paying mm-hmm. forward to young people, mm-hmm. not, not just our own kids and grandkids, but to 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 others to leave the world a better place than we found it. Um, and um, and so the question for society, the question for all of us, question for ourselves is how do we change these norms, change the culture so we embrace these possibilities. Yeah, I think that's important because uh, as we start to talk about opportunities for older folks to uh, repurpose themselves, there are so many opportunities. It's interesting in an economy with high employment, uh, people are stretching and looking for new people to bring into their organizations. And sadly, ageism is is a phenomena in the world, but people do bring wisdom, they bring foresight, they bring an understanding, a depth of understanding. So if companies can even think through, we have to fight against ageism and find ways to find valuable people. I know that Encore, which we had on the show as well, is a, uh, a program that allows people fellowships where they can work with a nonprofit organization, demonstrate their acumen and what value they bring. And the nonprofit world truly wants people with business experience so you can tr- make an amazing impact. I assume that's an area you'd recommend people sure. to consider. Sure. Well, look, in many ways, I'm an encore career, careerist. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, again, this this notion of, of the accumulation of, of experience and learning and knowledge. Uh, and, and by the way, there, there's lots of evidence about the the incredible, the powerful combination of the talents of the young and, and old. Young people bring to experience, new, you know, they bring risk-taking inclinations and they bring creativity and they bring new new thinking. But older people bring understanding of how to navigate environments, how to get things done, how to uh, engage in multi-sectoral problem-solving right. and opportunity-creating. They bring balance and and wisdom. Um, those the combination of those skills. There's, by the way, research that suggests that that mixed age teams, a young person, a millennial, and a boomer, or a millennial and somebody from the silent generation, actually will will outperform same age teams of any age. That's and really it's, good. And it's kind of intuitive, yes. right? The comp, the complement of skills. You know, Renee, mm-hmm. that uh, that in Europe, for example, there's been research on the on the performance of companies that have a that have a greater greater number of women, women on, on women on boards. Uh, co- companies have figured out that diversity is right. a strength, right? Complement of skills. Same thing with age. So right. age diversity is really the next frontier of, of div- diversity and inclusion initiatives in companies. They're, it's happening in Europe and in Asia, which is which are both aging more rapidly. Beginning to happen in the United States, we need to accelerate it. I agree. I agree. And I, th- I think two things I'll say, and uh, one is hard for me to say. I think those of us who are over 60 have to proudly speak about it. That's the hard thing for me to say. Uh, you know, it used to be you covered it up. You tried to, you know, wear makeup and clothes yep. and act young and do things. And uh, it gets to a point where you're not fooling anyone. But instead, being proud of your age and talking about other in my case, women and, of course, men who are that age and are, are making a, a real contribution, I think, is important. The second thing is I think we have to also look at ways we can benefit each other. In my company, for instance, we started a program of reverse mentoring. Yep. 
So we have young people mentoring older people and then that older person, uh, you know, it's a great way to acknowledge the differences instead of kind of putting them in the closet. Uh, The older people don't know how to use technology as well. Uh, They try to be savvy and they give up often. And the others are the younger people are are digital natives, natives. Allow that to come forward. And it almost means a young person then can specifically ask, tell me what you would have done. Tell me a story of how that happened. And why is this political situation so difficult? How would you maneuver through it? And how would you cross sectors like you're talking about? So it, it almost gives permission for the dialogue that might not be happening. I, th- well, I, I, I applaud the, the notion that you think about reverse mentor, mentoring. It's, again, happening more and more. But but I think the, the point is more broadly, we have to think about new roles for older adults. Right. We have to think about how we comp- how we compensate and evaluate people in, in, com- in companies. You know, people companies tend to compensate based on individual performance. So, so often, oftentimes, what what happens is that young person, uh, am, ambitious, wanting to move move up, the greatest skill they'll bring is something that relates to what to what they do. Whereas the mm. older the older person may most valuably mentor. Uh, sometimes evaluation schemes don't don't capture that. By the way, there's more and more as a re, as a result emphasis on team. Yes, Evalu- team evaluation. Team evaluation. Right. So that's one of the things you you could do. One of the things I've yeah. seen happen in companies where the team, which is multi ages, as you say, if they hit a certain criteria, there's a certain amount of compensation, and then individuals can get additional compensation. They try to do both, but I think the team is really important. And I, you know, it's hard to get evidence of the effectiveness of the mentoring. I mean, I agree with you that mentoring is important. How do you build that though into a compensation model? Is it you know, it's probably not just how many times you meet. And talk with the person. It has to have some evidence of effectiveness. Yeah, well, I mean, look, some of it is 360 degree reviews, mm-hmm. right? Uh, taking into account the the young the young person's assessment of what the older person has has done to advance their career and and, and the like. And some of it is just simply simply the effectiveness of team performance and whatever way the team is overall evaluated but but again there's there's plenty of evidence on this notion that that um, that older people bring something different to to the workforce i've actually written written about this and uh, collaborated with a with a friend of mine it's it's the stanford center on longevity on on this work um, um so again what companies have to recognize is that they have this underutilized as, asset that wants different things there's also some suggestion that that older people, uh, kind of, um, despite all the expectations to the contrary, actually are willing to take less money if they have respectful roles. They want more time to travel and spend with significant others and to do other other things to explore new learning opportunities. And interestingly, by the way, the leave issues, the the leave and and flexibility issues, are just as relevant for young people. In the same sense, the curb cuts on the street are good for for wheelchairs and they're good for baby carriages. You know, young moms and young dads want time off to spend with their kids, and oftentimes older people want t- time to spend with grandkids or with aging parents, or uh, or doing other things. So well, that also speaks to yeah. flex time. People yeah. people want to be able to craft their schedule around their needs, not necessarily always adhering to a rigid work need, as long as the work gets accomplished. That's, that's right. But you're right. That's another way to think of older people, because I think the other obstacle is they're going to be so expensive. Right. I know in my business, for example, if I took a seasoned executive, I could hire two, maybe three junior people out of school with a couple of years of experience for the same salary as one. Well, by the way, this is the brilliant, the brilliant, the encore, encore career uh, fellow, fellowship. So we take these people who oftentimes are in very senior positions, uh, for example, 
we've we've got some terrific people out of Intel o- o- over the years who are making a lot of money, a lot of money, and we put them in these positions. And the interesting thing is, they get paid. There's skin in the game, and the reason why they get paid is we want the organization with which they're placed to see them as real employees. Mm-hmm. We want them them to see themselves as having real responsibilities. They get twenty five or thirty grand a year. Now, the interesting thing is they take those jobs just as seriously as, as, they, as they did their former position when they were tre- treasurer of right? this or, you know, <laughs> head, of, head, of, head of this, 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 this department. And, and, the, and the, the places that, that engage them I see them in the same way. So yeah. all of a sudden they, are, they become real employees. Some of them, by the way, have stuck after these fellowships are over and actually taken real jobs with these, with these places. Why? Because as it was with the intern, the, the Robert De Niro uh, a picture in which he's you know, mentoring the younger senior mm-hmm. executive, oftentimes in these social enterprises where there's a young person, fantastic idea, great initiative, all, all the excitement, they may not have experience doing a chart of accounts or dealing with an, with an annual audit or you're uh, kind of implementing a new, a new you know, uh, um, Information system, or doing whatever mm-hmm. else they're doing, or mm-hmm. lease, leasing leasing space. So uh, these are these are great opportunities to not only connect the generations, but to take advantage of experience. Ah, oh, it's a really good point, and I think people do want to know they're valued and contribute something. So you're finding highlighted, you know, opportunities, and I do think of a lot of the startups where they could use an older person giving them wisdom. Sometimes it's the investors who end up providing sure. that kind but of perspective. I look, I think you know the, the the important point is was we we all we all seek. Not only respect, but purpose and dignity through mm-hmm. throughout life, and mm-hmm. so so the point is, we should all have the opportunity to realize that whether it generates uh, generates compensation or or whether it's purely volunteer, and that notion of being important, of making a meaningful contribution, of involvement and engagement, and continuing relevance. I just think couldn't be more important. Then there's a ton of evidence about the relationship between that and health, health, health outcomes, so, and yeah. less heart disease, and less cancer, or, less other. It's or, amazing how many how many benefits there are from feeling purpose, and of course also being not being isolated, right? Being engaged because exactly. that's yeah. the other thing with older folks. They, you know, pushing them off into an area or making them live in a certain area is really an anathema. They don't want that. And they, just like all of us, stay younger, the more engaged and socialized they yeah, are. Yeah, and if, and if you think about it, the importance of changing these environments is really, is really amplified because um, the time when we tend to make relationships in, in our lives and the way that our lives are, are kind of currently patterned uh, early in school, uh, in the development of relationships, marriages and, and romance, when kids are, are growing, you know, friends, mm-hmm. friends with, with kids, kids, families through work, obviously a really important way to develop relationships right. as kids grow, as families and friends die or move away, as you move away from traditional work environments, the potential for isolation mm-hmm. becomes that much higher. So, mm-hmm. so this is why, you know, I'm an advocate of lifelong work opportunities, lifelong learning opportunities, volunteering, ongoing engagement, Next generation communities because the potential to kind of bump into we bump into each other mm-hmm. and, to, and to develop new friends, new connections, really, really important. Let's talk about lifelong learning because that uh, is something that's fully been embraced. You know, and we see that also with younger people. You know, in my firm, we're giving uh, funds to get people uh, new classes they want to take, certifications, uh, even uh, going to conferences, of course. For older people, what avenues do they have for lifelong learning, for updating their skills or learning something totally new? So I think we're, we're in very early days still. So there are a series of 
initiatives around the around the country to engage uh, old, older people more actively in universities and colleges. Typically, um, those things have been on the periphery. They've been continuing ed, ed programs where you're with a bunch of of other people your same age, and you're kind of segregated from the rest of the university. Right. I think of there's the Plato group, right? There's, at UCLA yeah, extension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And 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 uh, the the Osher, uh, the Osher, the Osher, the Osher centers, yes. which by the way exist around the United States, and it's right. a wonderful program. Mm-hmm. And I I applaud it again. But but the problem I think with it is is that it's age segregated. So what's happening now? Uh, principally at a series of elite universities. Harvard University has one. Stanford has one that I'm on the I'm on the board of. There's a new one at University of Texas. You do one at uh, Notre Dame, University of Minnesota, et cetera, beginning to proliferate these programs that engage o- older people much more actively as as normal students in the, in the student body. How does sometimes, that work, sometimes, though? I mean, to assume you've already got are, a degree, you come back are, in? In some cases, they're hmm. fellowships. In some cases, they're, they're graduate schools. You have to think about this, not just from the perspective of the older adult, but from the perspective of the academic institution. I talked earlier about the fact that birth rates have, have plummeted uh, to historically low rates, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And what that means is the cohorts entering universities and colleges are smaller than they've, than they've been. So if you're Harvard, Yale, Stanford, University of Chicago, it's, et cetera. Tuition. You, you want you, tuition. But you also, <laughs> have, you also have no problem attracting student, right. student bodies right. of appropriate size. A tier down? Hmm. Universities are struggling. Mm. Colleges are under, under under threat of closing across the United States. This is not just an opportunity for older adults. This is an opportunity for uh, new engagement, for revenue generation, for lar- for larger and more, again, more diverse and inclusive student bodies for colleges and universities across the country. Uh, community colleges are, are thinking about this more. They've done really good on vets. Mm-hmm. Veteran who, programs who, bringing who, them in, right? Who, who, who tend to be older, but now are beginning to. I, I not too long ago interviewed the head of the California Community College System, thinking more about how to how to bring more older people back to campus, and it's a joy. And I can tell you, having myself done a a, a fellowship uh, where I not only hung around people my old age, but uh, spent a lot of a lot of time with with younger students, and had kind of a cohort of. Of uh, of smart smart young people working for me, it's it's a joy, and, and you know some idea. some people say you know college is wasted wasted on on the young. It certainly was on on me. Uh, going going back was just uh, exciting and fun. I love that idea. You know, uh, the, some of the universities and colleges, you're right, could even have a separate group of people they bring in. They get fully integrated into the classroom, and both all the students gen, uh, benefit in the classroom. That's wonderful. And there are now some again fairly early days, but some villages some. <laughs> You know, kind of quotes retirement communities that are appended to adjacent to yes, universities, co- college, college campuses. So really you know, smart. There's actually there's actually one uh, in in the Northeast where where people who who go to live in this community are required to go to college. I love it's, that. It's, yeah, it's it's not a, not elective. You come home, you got homework. Well, you know, when so. you think about it, you could go back and take project management. You can take computer technology. There are a lot of classes you could take that when you, you feel more, or you could just take literature and history. Yeah, I mean, you, could, you, you could be an engineer and decide you want to, you want to take art history classes. Right. So you, you could, you're right, you could, you could be, you know, you could be a physician and decide you want to do theater. And who find knows? you have another skill set. I yeah. love that idea, yeah. Paul. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I have to ask, has there ever been a hard decision you've had to make in your life that you could share with us? Oh, there have been plenty of hard, mm. of hard decisions I've, I've had. I mean, look, I, I ran, I ran a large law firm, and I had to, I had to make termination decisions, mm-hmm. and oftentimes had people in front of me crying. Hopefully, hopefully, I, I did it with, with grace. Um, you know, it's interesting. Pe- people often ask me whether the hardest decision was to leave my primary 
profession. But actually, that wasn't a hard decision at, at, at all. I, I loved what I did. I did it with with the same group of people for for three you know three plus decades. But um, but I was ready ready for a new adventure. So. Look, I, again, I think one of the benefits of age is that all of us have been bumped around. We've had to deal with deaths. Right. We've had to deal with relationship changes. We've had to deal with sacrifices. So, um, but we... We, we bounce we, back, right? We, we, per, we persevere and, right. and bounce back. That's right. Yeah. Decisions can be hard, but you've made a lot of wise ones. Thank you so much, Paul, for the advice you've given Thank about you. the aging population. Thank you for having me. This has been a terrific show with Paul Irving, who's the chairman of the Milken Institute Center for the Future of Aging. Thank you all for listening to our show, The Deciders with Renee Frazier. As I mentioned at the outset, Frazier Communications is a full-service advertising communications firm. If you have an interest in learning how we can help you with your business, contact us at FraserCommunications.com. And you can find the Deciders podcasts available on the website, FraserCommunications.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great week ahead. This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions.